0: So today is a big day for Girl Boss Radio. In a few minutes, we're going to be joined by my friend SJ. I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker, a.k.a. Carrie Bradshaw, a.k.a. Frances on the new HBO series Divorce. But right now, sitting next to me is Jericho Mandy Burr, Editorial Director at Girlboss.com. And I'm happy to report that we're both a bit smarter this week than we were last week, thanks in part to our partners at Skillshare. So what is Skillshare, you ask? I know you're asking. Uh, Skillshare is an online learning platform that offers you classes in just about anything you can think of. Jericho,
1: how can I take better pictures? Skillshare. How can I make
0: a better presentation?
1: You know what you should do? Just go to Skillshare.
0: There's something for everyone at... Skillshare. And you can do it from the comfort of your own home or from the beach or wherever you want. Whether it's a side hustle or a hobby, which is kind of the old word for side hustle... We were reading about that recently. Mm-hmm. Skillshare will keep you learning in 2018 and beyond. So right now, I'm really excited about a class with Soledad O'Brien called Powerful Storytelling. Uh, but there's tons of options because Skillshare offers over 18,000 classes in business marketing, entrepreneurship, technology, and more. And right now, Skillshare is offering Boss Radio listeners a limited time offer of three months of Skillshare for just 99 cents that's like pretty much free to sign up go to skillshare.com slash girlboss99 again go to skillshare.com slash girlboss99 to get three months of skillshare for only 99 cents act now for this special new year's offer and start learning today It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girl Boss Media, and this is Girl Boss Radio. Born in a tiny town in southeastern Ohio, Sarah Jessica Parker never thought that she couldn't be all the things she wanted to be. In junior high, when her parents put everything they owned into a VW bus and packed up the family to move to New York City, her love of stage and screen blossomed. And she's been a working actor ever since. Sarah Jessica is a storyteller. She brings beautiful, complex, cerebral characters to light on stage and on screen.
2: I just was interested, as I always am, in just stories about people and like the little stuff, the little emotional stuff that we're all experiencing quietly that most of us don't share because it's not really share it share
0: worthy. You know, it's like just the day to day, the minutia of life. From square pegs to sex in the city, she's been an influential voice of our generation. She's also a wife, a mother and a savvy businesswoman. And that's sort of the way I pursued business because for me,
2: it was like an opportunity at a whole other career, which is unusual and fortunate Uh, It's a privileged place to be, and I wanted to be deserving of it. So
0: the more time I spent in business, the more I discovered that I really loved it. She launched her fragrance line in 2005 and her eponymous shoe line, SJP, in 2014, in collaboration with Manolo Blahnik's George Malcamis. Today, we'll talk about her latest project, HBO's Divorce, a fantastic show about the life of an American family, and we'll reflect on what made Sex and the City such a lasting phenomenon. I think the writing on Sex and the City
2: was so just beautiful, so exquisite, so irreverent, so subversive, so funny, so threatening, that I, my guess is that the stories, the journey, the emotional journey of these women and their friendships and the intimate nature of their conversations and the sort of thesis at the end of each episode, which is basically like it's a column, right,
0: that must still have some place in women's lives. And of course, we'll ask her about her involvement with the Time's Up movement and why it's more than just a fleeting hashtag. But first, hi Jericho. Hi. Are you excited about Sarah Jessica Parker? I'm so excited. So we're just going to keep this Sarah Jessica Parker theme today.
1: Just It's a SJ love fest in here.
0: It is. And if you guys don't know about this Instagram account, if you are a fan of Sex in the City or Sarah Jessica Parker, there's this account called Every Outfit on Sex in the City, it's at every outfit on SATC,
1: right? Uh huh. And it's got over 400,000 followers. And as the name suggests, it's literally just screen grabs of outfits from Sex in the City. <laughs> So who's behind this? So it was started by two friends, a writer, director called Lauren Garoni and Chelsea Fairless, who was a fashion editor and she's a designer at Female travel right now. And they basically just got together and started commentating on the outfit choices of all the Sex in the City characters and kind of psychoanalysing their outfit choices in relation to like what was happening in the plot in a really funny, like catty, beautiful way. So They will, like, upload a photo of Carrie in a fishnet top with her hair straightened and caption it something like, Carrie reminding us that your shitty love life can always be obscured by a visible bra and a flat iron. So basically turning, like, every moment in Sex and the City into some, like,
0: universally relatable... Yes. Yeah.
1: So if you're a fan of the show and you've watched it, like, five times all the way through, you'll still get something new out of it just because of the way that they describe like the outfit choices that the costume designer Patricia Field made that kind of sent little like subtle messages and cues to the audience about those characters. Yeah. So Chelsea's queer and obviously Patricia Fields, the famous costume designer, is as well. And so the account is really popular in like the LGBTIQ community because it calls out these kind of queer signifiers and visual themes in the show and how the show was kind of problematic and it kind of, you know, dates badly by 2018 standards mm-hmm. but it's still so amazing and universal in all these other ways so they always say you know Miranda's a closet lesbian um oh and they invented the hashtag woke Charlotte which has been written about a lot where they yeah rewrite Charlotte's lines to make her Seem really progressive. Oh,
0: so they rewrote her lines. Yeah. Because okay. so I was looking at it and progress. I was like, wow, this is really progressive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I thought that was actually the writing
1: on this show because I haven't seen every episode. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. almost like Charlotte is like the antithesis of that. Like she has, she says kind of progressive things, but it's in a surprising way on the show because mm-hmm. it's like her character is supposed to be the opposite of that, like super traditional and romantic. So they basically like superimpose new Um, subtitles so it looks like Charlotte's saying these really amazing things so yeah it just gives like a whole new life to the show and it's so so fun and it's still self-care month we're wrapping it up but there's so much to see on girlboss.com, we've got a story on the illustrated history of self care and the term, and an essay on the relationship with self care and like mainstream marketing and all that stuff. There's like a lot of great conversations going on on the site right now. Always great conversations at girlboss.com. And remember, tickets are on
0: sale for the next Girlboss rally. It's coming to LA on April 28th. Ooh. Early Nerd registration has sold out, but you can still get your general admission or VIP registration at girlbossrally.com. And we'll have more information for you, including announcements of some of our amazing speakers, because it's going to be good in the coming weeks. So stay tuned. And if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter uh, at girlboss.com. Now, here's Sarah Jessica Parker, actress, producer, advocate for the arts, champion for women, lover of shoes. And to us, we're calling her S.J. So, S.J., I want to hear about your childhood. You grew up in Ohio? I was born in Ohio. I was
2: born in in a very small town in southeastern Ohio called Nelsonville, which is just in the foothills, basically, of Appalachia. And that was because that was the nearest hospital to Athens, Ohio, where my parents were in university. And when I was about five years old, we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, and I lived there until I was 11. And then when I was 11 years old, we moved to New York City, and I've lived in New York City ever since.
0: And I heard your family packed up a VW and moved to New York— But, like, your place wasn't ready and you guys, like, moved somewhere else. Like, it sounds like such a – like, such a 70s, like, family kind of camp movie or something. Was it like that? We could pretend. We could make it into that. Um, (laughs) I mean, there was something
2: kind of – well, it felt very much – it felt like a great adventure. We all – I think we all wanted to move to New York. We did really, truly put everything that we could own and fit into a Volkswagen bus. My mother was pregnant with the let's see my with the 7th baby of 8 and she couldn't travel like that. So she stayed in Cincinnati actually to sort of close down that house and we did come to New York City and we were among the first families moving to Roosevelt Island, which I don't know if your <laughs> listeners are familiar but it's an island in the middle of the East River which has a very interesting, colorful history. Um, And the city of New York basically had sort of taken over and created housing, affordable housing there. So that was the way that we could afford to move to New York. And when we arrived in New York City, just probably January 2nd, I think, of 1977, our apartment wasn't ready, so we – I think my father just found – he found a couple of hotel rooms at a Holiday Inn in Yonkers, <laughs> and we lived we lived there for a while. And um, eventually he found in the New York Times real estate section a house that we could afford to rent in Dobbs Ferry, New York, which is just up to Hudson. I mean, it was a very exciting time, like I said, for most of us, I think, who wanted very much to be New Yorkers and live in New York and have all of that, that experience, what we imagined. But I think it was probably much more of a trial for my parents and um, – And not every sibling had a sort of dream. Our dreams were were vastly different. But I think ultimately we're all really pleased that my parents were willing to kind of be so risky and and make such a bold move without little or no – you know, there's like no support really for it.
0: Yeah, that's a lot to move. I mean to live in New York with any children I can imagine is challenging or (laughs) to live anywhere with any children is challenging. But eight of them, did you – live with all of your siblings?
2: Yeah, um, there were six at the time, and my mom, like I said, was pregnant with my soon-to-be-born sister, who was uh, who's called Allegra. She was born at Yonkers Hospital. And yeah, we all live together. We're all from the same mother. Um, we have two different fathers. I'm the youngest of the first set of biological parents, and then my mother remarried, and she's still married to my stepfather. So we're all we were all raised together, lived together, you know, shared one bathroom, shared bedrooms, all of that—the good, the bad, the um, brutal.
0: <laughs> you, I mean, you started acting really early. How old were you when you started working in theater? And was that something that you were interested in? Did your parents push you in that direction? How, at that age, did you get involved in in theater?
2: There was a unusually fortunate sort of turn of events that we benefited from, which is that um, at the time, our local NBC affiliate in Cincinnati was a station, I think the call letters were like, um, it was WLW. And um, there was a gentleman there who was making what were NBC's versions of, do you know after school specials or are you too young?
0: Uh Yeah, no, I do. Okay.
2: <laughs> so NBC's version of, of after school specials were these programs called Young People's Specials. And they were on like, you know, twice a year maybe. And the gentleman who made them was writing and directing them, shooting them in Cincinnati, Ohio, and of all crazy things. And there was an ad in the paper when I was eight that they were doing um, an adaptation of The Little Match Girl, which is a Hans Christian Andersen very tragic story. And I saw it and um, my mom let my sister and I. I have no idea why, because we'd never been act. I mean, we weren't actors, but we marched ourselves down to our local NBC station in downtown Cincinnati, and we stood in a long line of like 500 little girls. And then I was cast in the role, and I did it. I shot it over the course of I think five business days. <laughs> it was an amazing experience. Like it was, you know. I mean, it was the portal to like life change. And I think primarily I just really loved the idea of being somebody else. I was perfectly happy in my own life, but this escape to this other story just was like completely, it was really seductive. And I got, they paid me, you know, like $500 and I would get out in time to get to my ballet classes. And then they would give me $5 to get something to eat. Mm -hmm. And $5 to me, it was like somebody handing me like, gold bullion, you know, like I never handled $5 before. And I just the whole experience, you know, being paid to have this kind of extraordinary for me, this singular experience, really just changed my life. And at the same time, my brother was performing locally. Um, we had a lot of it. at the time, and, and Cincinnati is actually very, a place of um, great culture. There was a really well-known theater there, an equity theater. We have a you know, beautiful ballet company. At the time, there was this very important symphony and this great conductor that was you know known all over the world. So it was a place of great culture. It's a university town, so that happens a lot in places like that. And then Tom Robertson, that same writer-director, wrote another one when I was 11, and my brother and I <laughs> played siblings, and it was called Nightmare. The Immigration of Joachim and Rachel, Um, (laughs) and it was about two children escaping from the Warsaw Ghetto, shot in Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, I don't know. I just kept having these experiences. So when we moved to New York, by the time we moved to New York, I had seen another ad in a paper for a play that was about to be produced on Broadway, and they were looking for two children, and we were coming to New York to see my dad, my real dad, I mean, all these sort of things, sort of this confluence of things kind of came together and we ended up, I ended up being cast in that on Broadway and traveling to London to rehearse and then we went back to Cincinnati and and that was after that that our family moved
0: to New York. Was your career part of the reason that your family moved to New York or was it like, you know, was it like, I mean, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, but... (laughs) That's, <laughs> yeah, that's the place where you um, do that. Was that yeah. an influence? because that's a that's a that's a huge deal for your parents to get up and do that.
2: Yeah, I think I mean, in part, they did my father. Also, my stepfather <clears throat> with whom we were living was a truck driver. He was a semi. He drove, um, you know, like 18 wheelers. He drove like massive trucks, grain mm-hmm. trucks across the country. And he had ambitions to start a trucking company that would do the transportation for uh, bus and truck companies. So he felt that there were opportunities for him in New York to actually take more control of his professional life and he had more opportunities because he was familiar with the theater and um, had worked in our local theater. So he felt, well, we could move to New York and I could pursue this professional work and maybe make more money for to support my family. In the meantime, my children can pursue these careers in, in, in the arts and in the theater. And so, yes, it was a sacrifice from my parents, but I think that there was, they thought there
0: was perhaps an upside. Cool. Did you have any other early jobs? Like, have you like worked in a restaurant or like, have you been an actor like through and through? I've been an actor
2: through and through. I, in high school, I was, um, I babysat. I don't think that really counts, but I did babysit in high school to make money. And I did a lot of that. I also was a babysitter because, you know, I wasn't a paid one because I have so many younger brothers and sisters. But I did set up a small business, babysitting business with my best friend Molly in high school. And we had sort of figured out an interesting um, business model that was, you know, it was pretty lucrative. But I never worked, I never had any of the traditional jobs one usually has after 18 to support myself. And that didn't mean that I was always supporting myself. I guess meaning that there were times that I was running out of money as an actor. And so I would call my agent and said, you know, like, remember those things I didn't want to (laughs) do? I have to do them now. Meaning, you know, television programs that I – it wasn't my dream. You know, a lot of jobs I did, a lot of jobs that I've done in order to support myself to pay my rent
0: and, you know, my Con Ed bill and eat Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing just for our listeners because, you know, when you go out into the world and you're like in your early 20s, you know, and you maybe even you're so lucky to have a talent, like, you know, very few of us get to just do kind of whatever we want and kind of cherry pick the – the job that we do, and when you start a business, which is totally different from acting, you kind of have to do everything, and you have to do the stuff that's unfun, and you can only really like lead people to do those things until you've done them. Otherwise, you're not going to have any credibility. You won't be able to solve problems with them yeah. or for them. Yeah. So I think like in some ways, yeah, you earn the jobs that you want by doing the jobs that you need to do.
2: Yeah, I think it's really important. I- I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it's kind of necessary. And sometimes I'm sorry for those who kind of can leapfrog over the really unpleasant part of of achieving something that you want. And, you know, these triumphs that we have, like, they don't have to be public. You know, I think successes can be, you know, defined in all sorts of ways. But I think I am so grateful for all of the jobs that I didn't want to do, that I had to do. Um, I'm I'm grateful that there were times that I was concerned and worked that much harder and was worried, uh, sincerely worried about paying bills and having to really make choices, you know, what does it mean to give up on a dream and, and what do you learn from doing the things that, that aren't pleasant, that don't make you feel proud? And I'm not talking about making unsafe choices or things where you are feeling in, you know, unsafe I'm not talking about that, thankfully, but I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, whether you're pursuing a life in, you know, business or creatively, the more time you spend doing the the least glamorous, the, the not public face of it is where you, I think where you learn all the details that are the most important part. It's where you develop coping mechanisms and it's, you know, it's the atom splitting which is where you really learn your discipline.
0: You don't build character getting what you want.
2: <laughs> like No, and I think it's a burden to just get what you want. I think it doesn't allow you also you just don't cultivate empathy or curiosity, missing out on on making it on just getting by like there is something so I don't know, that's a really uh, it's an enviable place to be.
0: In 2005, Sarah added beauty entrepreneur to her list of accomplishments. Since then, her fragrance brand has continued to grow. I asked Sarah to talk about why she started with fragrance.
2: When I started doing sex in the city, the television series, Darren Starr, when he initially offered me the part, he said, you know, and you can be a producer on the show, and I said I, you know, I don't know. I, I've never produced television. I hadn't I'd worked a lot in television, you know, as a journeyman And, you know, we all pay attention to who's producing and we all have a lot of strong feelings about those people. I hadn't been observing, like, you know, shadowing. And he said, just pay attention. Just, you know, I'm giving you this opportunity. And, of course, anybody would be foolish to say no. And I was thrilled. And so I started just listening and learning and trying to surround myself, you know, or just be among the people that I thought were making really good, smart choices and seemed to really understand how to um, handle people and business and numbers and studios. And I ended up just loving it. And um, it became, you know, an an enormously important part of that experience for me. And at, at the point in which I was thinking about a fragrance, which I had thought of for many, many years... I just once again found a partner that i that had a long history and in her you know in her category in fragrance and beauty, and was well admired in her industry and I just wanted to be around her, so I thought uh this will be this partnership will be more fruitful than just launching a fragrance, but rather, I'm going to learn from somebody who is held in very high esteem in her business, and that's sort of the way I pursued business because for me. It was like an opportunity at a whole other career, which is unusual and fortunate. Uh, It's a privileged place to be, and I wanted to be deserving of it. So the more time I spent in business, the more I
0: discovered that I really loved it. Sarah Jessica has always been working, role after role, from Square Pegs to Footloose to L.A. Story, Honeymoon in Vegas, Hocus Pocus, Ed Wood, First Wives Club. It's remarkable how many amazing roles she's played, but perhaps none more iconic than Sex in the City. I wanted to take a minute to talk to Sarah Jessica about why she thought the show was such a phenomenon.
2: I think eventually we understood that people were had strong feelings about it and not all positive the negative feelings were made very clear as, as well but we definitely understood at a certain point that it was connecting with people and that that i would recognize like little things eventually you know walking down the street i st- you know even seeing groups of four women sitting at a table outside in new york i recognized that that was something that i hadn't actually seen before that there was like little sort of touchstones visual and kind of in the city that I would see you know you're so in the day-to-day of the work and my work had become pretty um, demanding that I wasn't and I guess I didn't want to think too much about any outside chatter or the the
0: peripheral stuff because it just would intrude too much on like how we were functioning maybe yeah yeah How have you managed – just speaking of tuning the outside world out, which is something that I've unfortunately had to cultivate a certain amount of, even in my, like, small – kind of following. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, like it's really hard when the world is telling you who you are, or who you think they think you are, <laughs> or what you resemble or symbolize as a result <laughs> of what you've done, even if you aren't like didn't even like appoint yourself to that, like right. <laughs> it's just like the world crowdsources some like version of you that they think you are or should be. And in some ways that's great because if you listen, there's opportunities in there. Like, wow, I could go in this direction in my career. Wow, people liked girl boss. Why? Like, what, what can I build as a result of it? But also right. there's things that come with it that are really like unsavory. And if you pay too much attention, it will paralyze you into like, oh, my God, you know, as you think about your next moves, like, you know, I'm you know, I found myself almost plotting them as if I'm up. Master publicist like Ina Tressiokas. I'm not. I'm (laughs) not. But yeah, she's lovely. I love her. And Ina's the woman who put this to to this us together. Just to clarify for our listeners. But how how do you deal with that? And have there been low moments where the world is saying one thing about you, but you're like, that's not true. I'm going to go over here and just not pay attention.
2: Yeah. It it's you know, happened for a long time. And there tends to be like, kind of like flu season. It's like, t- it tends to like spike and then goes away. And I will say only that I don't think I'm that much better at it, dealing with it than, I, than I've than ever been. I don't, I don't feel like I, oh, I didn't get the thick skin they, tell me, they told me I'd get or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I never developed like the cynicism that you're supposed to, that's like you acquire over time when you've been beaten up and People have said untrue things about you. And even lately, you know, with all the endless talk about Sex and the City, you know, not happening, the third movie and, you know, I know the truth of what happened and and I let people define it because, you know, you don't want to like even get involved in it because you just end up in the weeds. It's like a pointless like to attempt to try to write, the you know, correct the record which is always my instinct. I'm like Ina, but that's not true. And when will I, you know, you just I think you need you need people who love you and care about you to remind you to be circumspect and like kind of try to step back and be philosophical. But I think it's perfectly okay to have those things still hurt your feelings. Like I think, or or to feel outraged by it because it's a personal experience. And you know, I'm sure you choose to live your life in a way that makes you proud and you conduct yourself in a way that you think is professional and you treat people well and you try to make good choices or interesting choices or you make challenging choices. And when someone tells you why or what that experience was and it has no, like it doesn't at all reflect yours, Mm -hmm. it's so frustrating. But on the other hand, (laughs) there are so many worse things that people are afflicted with like, if this is my cross to bear, right? If this, I know, right? If this like, is boo-hoo. it. Boo-hoo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, yeah. Then I have to find a way to just kind of integrate that. And, you know, there are, right now, obviously, in our country, there are, like, really big, important conversations going on. Mm-hmm. And my, you know, my offense at something is
0: not, it just doesn't stack up. Yeah, perspective will get you through so much, right? You know, just saying like, okay, this thing happened to me, but if you're in a position, which I think most of our listeners probably are, to look around your life and say, but I'm fine, like I'm actually fine, in the grand scheme of you know what's happening on this planet, like you know, right. it can get you through a lot.
2: Yeah, and I don't think I'm either one of us are you know in any way advocating just letting things go that are not okay in your lives but you can most people can kind of draw the line between what is important and what isn't and Mm -hmm. yeah exactly absolutely
0: and when you're young I think it can sometimes things can seem so much more amplified than once it's it's happened a few times And you can always kind of (laughs) cast yourself into the future where you're going to be like scoffing like laughing making (laughs) jokes about that insane crisis that you had you know a year ago With the Instagram account "Every Outfit on SATC and the hashtag WokeCharlotte, the show still remains part of pop culture in 2018.
2: I think that's really interesting, and I think that actually speaks more to anything, like, to the writing then. Because the greatest, the hardest thing to do, I think, with any, any art form that lives, like, on film, right? So cinema or television, whatever now, or on your computer— and it, when there's a relationship with fashion, it's it's very hard to not have it be, end up being like a period piece, you know, mm-hmm. because it looks dated. The the fashion tells you, oh, that was this year, that decade. But I think the writing on Sex and the City was so mm-hmm. just beautiful, so exquisite, so irreverent, so subversive, so funny, so threatening. My guess is that th- this th- the stories, the the journey the emotional journey of these women and their friendships and the intimate nature of their conversations and the sort of thesis at the end of each episode which is basically like it's a column right that must still have some place in women's lives i mm-hmm. guess is my is my guess is that's the that would be the thread that pulls it into this century like this decade you know because otherwise you would see it it would almost be like an amber because of the cost you know because of the
0: fashion in a way so we're really only halfway through this conversation with sj but there is so much more to come now, since we're talking about fashion, let's talk a little bit about Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix, oh my gosh. The story I wish I had when I started a fashion company. Uh, they just IPO'd. They, like, do over a billion dollars in revenue. I just don't even know how you do that. I tried to get, like, halfway there. Their success is really just an indication of how amazing their product and service is. Like, I got a dress in the mail, and it just it feels like a really expensive dress and they just make it so easy, right? You you fill out your style profile and they send you clothes, shoes, and accessories picked just for you. Your size, your lifestyle,
1: your budget and of course things that you'll like and I love the style profile it's my favorite part sometimes I just go back and edit it
0: (laughs) you just like to click around don't you so (laughs) and sending stuff back that you don't like in the event that you don't like something is super easy stitch fix covers shipping both ways for returns and exchanges too and there's no subscription required you can get your fix monthly quarterly or whenever you feel like it so Get started now at stitchfix.com girlboss. And you'll also get 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com girlboss to try Stitch Fix today. S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot com slash girlboss. Now back to Sarah Jessica Parker. S-J. You've been married for over twenty years. Mm-hmm. What? And you live with a teenager. Like, what advice for those of us who are divorced? Which I am. Oh, you are. Mm-hmm. I know. I never thought I'd be a thirty-three-year-old divorcee, but here I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is like? Is there a secret? Is I've heard it's choose your battles, which just means like shut up basically sometimes which <laughs> yeah. in today's world can feel kind of like oh god but like part of myself is dying every time I shut up. Do you have any advice? I I'm always loathe to
2: give advice cuz I'm I don't know. I feel like I'm no expert. I, I mean, the only thing I will I don't know. I, I I don't know. I'm trying to think how long we've been married. We've been married since 90. So we've been we'll be married um, 21 years this year. We've been together we were together for five years before that for 26 years it'll be this year I guess we're fortunate in that first of all I know this sounds nuts but you know we're we're, we have lives that allow us to be away and come back together you know his work life takes him here and mine takes my me there and in some ways I think that that's been like enormously beneficial because we have so much to share in a way do you know what I mean and I think that any time that any relationship is hard. It's it's the, the point at which you're deciding, you know, is this worth the investment of like getting through whatever the thing is, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or a business relationship. I mean, I'm not – they're not all the same, but there is this decision. There's this moment in all of those things that are meaningful, relationships that mean something to you where you're like, do I have the stomach? the the threshold like what's the threshold and I think I've been fortunate in that every time you know I've you know you wonder about like uh you know because relationships are hard I I always felt that I wanted to invest more like I you know I love him and I think he's Mm. brilliant and um I'm sure I annoy him I'm you know he knows me sometimes but I also i am enormously proud of the person he is. Like I think the longer you can last, the more, the more invested you just are. And so their triumphs are yours. Their disappointments are yours. And the more you feel those things and experience them, the more it's hard to imagine not being part of their life in a way, if that makes sense. But, but I don't know how you do that. I just think I've been fortunate.
0: That's cool. Yeah, people say, like, marry your best friend and, like, you know, I, my boy – I don't I have know boy, about that. You no? Know, like, yeah, it's like you don't want to be buddies, but <laughs> right. with the person I'm dating now, I do find myself, like, not really wanting to hang out, like, go out or do anything. But I think that's also just your 30s, so I don't really know.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I'm wondering – I wonder if, like, do you – your best friend, like, marry your best friend. I'm wondering about that because – and I'm thinking, well – part of getting to the point of marrying somebody is that you're they're not anybody you know so it's exciting like it's interesting and it's like really compelling all the time because you don't know them you know what I mean mm-hmm. so like getting to the point of marriage or some commitment whatever that is I'm just wondering like best friends you're are you too deep into you
0: like eh, mm-hmm. I don't know so don't for it's in hard bed, basically <laughs> So you have three kids and looking into motherhood is like, you know, a possibility. Like how has motherhood changed you? Like what are the what are the good parts about, you know, what you've been able to take from motherhood personally?
2: Gosh, there's there's a lot that's that's good. I think just simply the way that you are in the world is better. For me, it's more interesting. Well, I don't think it's better actually. I think it's just different. There's like a whole other way of living in the world that I, I'm that's interesting and I think it it's like tethered me to life in a very different way so and I like those differences they're d- definitely different than my relationships you know with my adult friends or my husband The you know the thing about being a parent one of the many things that's hard or not just hard but it, it takes something is that you're in, in constant state of like worrying about your children you know it's this weird thing where they're out in the world and they're forming relationships and they're you know people are liking them or not liking them or they are disappointed or they are having disappointments or they're complicit in their disappointments or they're having these successes these little things these like victories and they're all like so it's it's so different to be caring and and concerned and in like in part of that and I really like it. It's very painful and it's exhilarating, but it's it's a really interesting way of living in the world. So I like read books differently, or I look at parents and children on the subway differently, or I hear music differently, or when I see something, I think, Oh, I wish I could I wish Tabitha and Loretta were with me now and they could see this or you know so I think that's the good part. Um, It's not for everybody. And there's a lot that's really hard. You know, it's exhausting. And you're basically just cleaning up after people all day. You're one big old-fashioned secretary. Like, all I do is organize people's lives and get them here and there and, you know, all that. But it's what I wanted. And with that, though, comes, like, witnessing somebody hopefully develop into a really interesting, decent – person who's contributes something, hopefully.
0: As an artist, SJ skillfully and masterfully brings to the screen all the complexities of human relationships. As girlfriends, mothers, wives, and her latest project, HBO's Divorce, is now in its second season. I asked SJ to talk to us about the project.
2: I started developing the show um, about four years before it went on the air. I, initially, I was... Working on an idea just about about a marriage, like an American marriage. What does the portrait of an American marriage look like? And what does it look like when there's infidelity in the marriage? And, you know, we all have friends, loved ones, siblings who are going through uh, – they're in different places in their marriage. And I was really wanting to examine – you know when there's infidelity and it doesn't destroy a marriage what does it do like what are the repercussions or how does it ch- change things good or bad what if no one ever knew that there were that there was an affair like all these things that were very interesting to me sort of like John Cheever but <laughs> and then we were sort of going through the development process and we had a wonderful novelist that worked that wrote the pilot and then we felt like oh we didn't get it right and HBO remained enthusiastic and then they like why don't you meet these two writers and one of whom i met was Sharon Horgan and she was you know so dazzling and, tr- and interesting and she was really interested in divorce and and marriage and so we then we were like yes you're the you're the voice and that's how it it happened and um you know she wrote our pilot and she was with us for the first season and uh I just was interested as I always am in just stories about people and like the little stuff, the little emotional stuff that we're all experiencing quietly that most of us don't share because it's not really share it share worthy. You know, it's like just Mm -hmm. the day to day, the minutia of life. And I knew HBO is, was like uniquely positioned to do that. They are, they're all for it. So that's what
0: interested me and that's, that's how it happened what have you learned about divorce? Have you had to become like a subject matter expert in divorce not, as a result? Not, of not this at all. Show? <laughs> no, I,
2: I mean, I've, I've learned that I don't want to, I don't want to do it this way. I mean, if uh, this divorce is, was just like bloody. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was handled so poorly by all parties. So I guess the only thing I've learned is I don't, I don't want one. I don't know what I've learned. I, I, I mean, I've learned that it's a business and, you know, it, 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 it there's a lot, you know, that people take from people going through divorce. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money and, and don't mind it being really dragged out. And it's really hard to surface from it. And, you know, I've seen people that have come out of divorce, like, Feeling like it's been like a new lease on life, and they are liberated just in the way they had hoped. And then others that felt like it was their undoing, and the children never recovered. And I've seen all sorts of it. It's just enormously disruptive. I guess it feels. I mean, you you know. I mean, you've been through it, and I it, it seems like it's a very painful process.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It's easier when you don't have kids. That's what everyone's like. You're so lucky you don't have kids. That's just what I. I bet. So tell me about Frances, your character. What do you like about her? Is is she likable? I don't
2: I don't know if she's likable. I I guess I don't really care if I don't I don't really don't know. And I don't I'm I love her. I think she's interesting and real and um I I uh I like playing her because I think she's very much many people, and it's not that I relate necessarily, but I know that she's telling somebody's story, and I don't know, I, I kind of, I'm drawn to her because she's prickly and exacting and, you know, clearly a really smart person who's, like, used poor judgment and handled things poorly and trying to recover and, as she says in the pilot, you know, she says, I want a divorce. I want to save my life. while well, I still care about it. while well, I still, you know, I can basically. And I think her attempt at, at this new chapter, she's interesting in it.
0: I remember watching the movie Girls Just Want to Have Fun about a hundred times. In the movie, Sarah Jessica Parker's character, Janie, is a teenager who's just moved to a new city. She bonds over her love of dance with a really cool rocker played by Helen Hunt it's an adventure that includes awesome dance parties breaking curfew nuns and rides on elephants pretty much my weekend and if you haven't seen it you should it's a movie that belongs to the girls all of us today Sarah is still doing it for the girls her support and involvement with the time's up movement gives a voice to those women who have been silent about the harassment assault and pay inequality in all industries Reese reached out to me fairly early on and said,
2: you know, there's this group forming and we're going to have our first New York meeting and um, I will, you know, would love for you to be part of it. To be honest, I think I'm I don't know exactly how there are there were three or four women in Los Angeles who um, came together. Uh, I'm not sure when they met, if they've known each other for a while prior to this, um, this incredible exercise, this endeavor. So I I became involved in early December. And it's sort of hard to describe because in very basic terms, I think the big goal is parity, equality, safe work environments, right? Not very controversial, just pillars on which we should all, you know, like we should be out in the world functioning and there should be parity and equality and people should feel safe at work. I think that The idea was that we should look inward first. You know, we should clean up house inside our industry. But it just so happens that the conversation, broadly speaking, is it happening across all industries? Like these conversations are happening internally in industries. We're not hearing about all of them because they're not—they're not all associated with names that people recognize. But I think the goal is is really admirable, and and it's a huge conversation it's a complex one and we're see, we're seeing kind of all we're hearing all sides of it right now you know we're hearing people really sharing some loudly and some more quietly really stunning and very upsetting stories and i think a lot of us are listening and hopefully and you know how we go about making these changes how we advocate how how you know how is legislation shaped How do we really become a more inclusive society? How do we learn to um, see the other person and recognize what they feel is not just or right? Like these are really hard things, but I don't think that we can retreat from it. I think it's like it's – the toothpaste is out of the tube, you know what I mean? And I think what everybody can do is – you know, you don't have to be part of Times Up in an official way. It's, there's not leadership there. It is a it it is I think an opportunity to get involved like in there's so many ways and we are still looking to try to define what those are. But you know, those of us who are who are going to meetings, like what where do we fit into this? Like is it are we, you know, getting involved with our unions? Are those conversations? Are you involved in the media and like Um, social media and how do we talk about you know there are all sorts of ways so I don't want people to feel like they're not a member I think it will become clear there will be very specific probably decisions and actions taken but I think everybody can find ways of connecting you know with restaurant industries or with you know undocumented workers who are often not heard or you know there's tons and tons of ways and we're just I'm personally just still saying like where can I be of value? Where can I contribute? What do I, what can I bring that is, you know, worthwhile to the conversation?
0: The influence that the entertainment industry has is such an interesting, I mean, obviously, there's so much that has to change in entertainment, but the kind of halo effect, I guess, of that, of the the the, the reach that the individuals involved with time right. have, uh, I think does have an opportunity to impact, uh, those of us who have less of a voice. And I think it's really, I mean, important.
2: Yeah, I, I hope, I hope so. And I think everybody wants to be like really responsible about If there is that influence, you know, to be very responsible and to listen, you know, there's so much we don't know about all the other industries and, you know, what, what are their experiences and, how do we look at legislation and how do we develop codes of conduct so there's no confusion or i don't know there's like these really big hard questions i mean the answers are hard but the pursuit is 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 good and i i hope everybody i really believe people's intentions are really pure you know and 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 want to see change that it really has broad effect for for everybody
0: i asked instagram uh to send me questions and one of Uh-oh. somebody wants to know where do you shop in the West Village for groceries? <laughs> I can tell you
2: every single place. So we shop at Gourmet Garage on Seventh um, Avenue between um, Christopher and Tenth. Mm-hmm. We we shop at Grissides on West Third Street or West Fourth Street. Um, I always get confused because it's just right off the subway. I think it's West it's West Third Street, which is our local Grissides. I love it and then we have a Cinderella, which is like a sort of like a higher end kind of and they have some prepared foods and then we have a local butcher that we go to and that local butcher is on Hudson it's called Hudson Street Butcher i think and it's an amazing butcher mm. and they have they have eggs they have um I'm hungry some uh, yeah, i am starving so those that's where we shop locally. And then we have an, a fantastic, like, unbelievable deli on West 4th Street called Sam's. And they are the nicest guys ever. And it's a true just deli. And they're open, you know – 6 a.m. till like 11 p.m. And they're the nicest guys ever.
0: It's amazing how much you have in New York because if someone asked like where I shopped in my neighborhood roughly, it's like there's Gelson's and that's kind of it. Like, you Oh, have... but
2: Gelson's is really nice, right? <laughs>
0: Gelson's is nice. Yeah. But it's like there's no like variety or like, wow, if you live in the West, West Village, you could shop at any number of places. It's so fascinating. Yeah.
2: It's good, but you have to carry them home in the dead of winter, and your fingers are like dying. They're like made of glass. They're like practically falling off, and you've got like plastic grocery bags like pulling I your digits apart. That's it's why I, can, I would have
0: had to move to New York a lot younger if I was gonna. Okay, yeah, you be, you
2: have to yeah. figure it out. You have to learn to survive.
0: So I. I ask everybody on this podcast what their girl boss moment was. And a girl boss moment is really just like the moment in your most recent history where you, you know, where you felt like you were in control of what you were doing in that moment, that you weren't doing it like out of obligation. Or if you were doing it out of obligation, it was because that obligation made you feel good. Uh, It could be, you know, putting lotion on your feet before bed or, you know, graduating from college. Um, just like a moment that you felt really good about yourself, Sj, what was your um, mo- oh my what was your most recent girl boss moment?
2: I- I'm going to say something that's kind of strange, and I'm, I'm going to try to explain it. You probably inspire this and thinking about your listeners, but um, I have one of my businesses I own with a partner, and we're very close. And our business outside of that is run entirely by women with the exception of our, um, IT person, (laughs) but, and this isn't my pretty matches business at HBO. It's a different business. And my, my partner got very sick and it was very upsetting and very scary. And we all just kind of got together and something just changed. And I think I'm using this as an example because I really felt at that moment when I came to the office and Said to everybody, you know, this is what's happening, and this is what we have to do now. It felt as as upset as we all were, and as worried as I was about my beloved partner, also this it it allowed this other thing to happen where we all became one. And I can't I almost can't describe it because it was be unexpected and not planned, and never you wouldn't want this to have happened in order we weren't we weren't needing some reason but i think seeing all these young women these different types of women come together because we love this other person so much and because we love this business felt so good in the in the kind of you know fist of something so upsetting and genuinely painful and scary came this thing um, that I think changed us and changed me as a partner, too, in the business, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody just rose. Like I literally saw everybody just – everybody had a girl boss moment, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Because they all recognized something else in themselves that I don't know that – none of us knew that we had these other – these other qualities, I guess, in some way that we could we could survive this and do right.
0: Yeah, adversity is such a crucible. You really see what teams and people are made of. And it sounds yeah. like you have a good one.
2: Yeah, we do. It's wonderful. And he's well and good.
0: Oh, good, good.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so that all worked <laughs> out. Thank God.
0: Last question at Girl Boss. We're really we think about this concept of success that was built in a different time for another gender for a different kind of world. I'm so curious, what does success mean to you?
2: It means choice, I think, really. And it's the thing I want so much for every woman. Um, it's the thing I think a lot about, not just lately, um, but more so lately as I you know, recognize how hard it is for so many women to have the life they want. And sometimes it's related to being a working mother and the the women I see on the subway or in my life that I know are working two and three jobs. And I know that my success allows me to make professional choices and personal choices. And that changes everything. That's like, that's like liberty, you know, that's total liberty. And so I just want so much for all other women to have that, to have choice in their life and that i think often comes from success because it's financial success allows you to have the things you need in your life you know to have a safe place for your children if you're a working parent to make creative choices professional choices you know and you can't do that if you're not you know in that same position and i i wish for everybody that they had choice
0: i think that's great and i agree with you Thank you so much for joining me on Girlboss Radio. This has been such a pleasure.
2: Oh, thank you for having me and for having such a making, allowing such an interesting, smart, thoughtful
0: conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. So remember, subscribe to Self Service, Jericho's podcast. Uh, in the iTunes store. And if you don't have an iPhone, it's on Stitcher. It is on Stitcher. And come to the Girlboss Rally. Come, come see us. You can do that at girlbossrally.com.